Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Hello, monkeys. And welcome to the Snark Monkey, episode number 51 with Christopher Titus. Hey, we are on at the Snark Monkey on Twitter. Please uh, follow us there. Like our Facebook page. Just look for Snark Monkey. We are on iTunes. We are on iHeartRadio. We are on Spreaker.com. Please subscribe. Leave comments. Rate us. Hopefully on the nice side. Um, and enjoy more fabulous Snark Monkey conversations with uh, creative, funny, interesting, fascinating individuals, as well as forthcoming reviews and monkey news. I am Larry Morgan. And uh, do you hear that buzz? Is there a buzz? Do you hear a buzz? Oh, there's a buzz on Snark Monkey. Except the kind of buzz we're getting is purely technical and electronic. And not social media worthy. Now, nah, but it's going to happen. And this might be the episode. Christopher Titus, fantastic stand-up comic. Uh, I'm a communicator. He He has been doing it a while, and he may be best known... For a highly touted, critically acclaimed, much publicized Fox TV series uh, back in the old 2000. Uh, lasted for, I guess, three se- one short season, two full seasons. And it was really pushing the envelope. It was shot completely differently. It was based upon his own actual rather bizarre and dark upbringing with an alcoholic father and a mentally ill and suicidal mother. And wow, I mean, it was some pretty edgy TV. And then um, as Christopher has documented many times, he kind of imploded in a meeting with a Fox network executive and the show went away. Uh, Christopher did not. Now, much of his upbringing as I mentioned, the the childhood that he had, he has documented in so many other ways. So we don't really delve into that. So if you need kind of a Christopher Titus bio, he has talked about it in so many other places. And in fact, if you can find his earliest specials, uh, in fact, his one man show called Norman Rockwell is Bleeding was basically his introduction to the world of what he grew up in and how it affected him. That also happened to be the one man show when he was performing it live that got him his TV show and has set him on a very interesting path. Now, it's been so many years later, but uh, in our conversation, you will hear the 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 ending of the TV show is still very painful to him, I think. And, and he's recognizing now in hindsight um, how he messed that up, um, but at the same time was trying to stand his ground creatively. Uh, So we do get into that. And we also talk about all the things he's got going on now, which, of course, he's got his own podcast. He's got uh, his uh, tour he's been doing. If you are hearing this now, as we post this on June 9th, he will be at the Brea Improv in exotic Brea, California, 
9th, 10th, and 11th. He moves on to Vegas, Des Moines, Omaha, Kansas City. And he will be shooting his current tour as a special in Escondido, California, at the Central Theater on July 9th. It's called Born with a Defect. You can find out where Christopher Titus will be near you at ChristopherTitus.com. But, wow, we we do get a little nuts and bolts about comedy here, and I think even Christopher thought that maybe that was going to be super boring to everybody, but if you are a fan of stand-up, if you want to hear about somebody who has done it, perfected it, gotten really good at it, continues to create really good, relevant, honest material, then you want to hear this. You'll like this. And he's funny. And we have a good time. And he's funny. And he loves Prince. He fucking loves Prince. Why does Christopher Titus love Prince? Why am I suddenly trying to do a bad Seinfeld? Uh, You'll find out here. Snark Monkey number uh, 50. What did I say? 51? It's 51. If I didn't say 51 at the beginning, I'm not re-recording this. It is definitely 51. Here's Christopher Titus. Enjoy. First of all, uh, in that very seat, well, actually in that seat right. over there, uh, basically the same setup last week, uh, Brad Williams came in. Oh. Uh, and two stories about Brad. One- I love Brad. He, but Brad's awesome, and his episode actually hasn't gone up yet. He's going to go up after yours. But uh, he cited you as a huge influence on him. Interesting. Positively. Right. Good. Thank God. <laughs> and also, the second part is that- um, I basically gave him the same instruction as I did you, and I walked away and got some water. And I said, go ahead and uh, you know grab a seat here, Brad, in, in front of that mic. And I realized that chair was, like, really, really high. Yeah. And so when I came back in the room, Brad was, like, having to climb the chair. And I'm, and I'm in that position of going, I know he's going to be fine. He absolutely doesn't need my help. But my first instinct was to go, do you need help yeah, getting man, up there? Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad I didn't say anything. I would have felt oh, he like would an have, idiot. He would have ripped on you. Brad is so so cool about it. Like I would have, I would have given him a higher chair just to watch him climb it. I think <laughs> I it's see. it's so cute to I watch him climb it. a chair. <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose, but I, I realized it looked like maybe I set him up and yeah. like there was a hidden camera. So the second, the the first part of that statement is. You and I are essentially the same age, uh, and now, how does it feel to be the person that other comics tout as their influence? You're the grizzled veteran of comedy uh, God, now. Grizzled is such a crappy word. <laughs> I know, uh, right? Because uh, no, I'm the same thing. I, I feel like I just got started, but I've been doing radio forever, and I have, you know, jocks tell me, oh, I remember hearing you and so-and-so when I was in yeah. junior high, and it makes me feel freaking ancient. Not even that. I started it as a teenager, so I'm, you know, I've been doing comedy 30 years, and right. I think uh, it's weird. I do have such an opinion about it, and it's it's really an honor. I remember, you know, people would say, people, comics would get this weird, young comics get this weird thing about Leno when he had The Tonight Show, and I remember going to see Leno live when he was the man. I mean, there's a reason he got The Tonight Show and had it for so long, because he was the best comic working by far. I agree. When he would go on Letterman and do his bits and What's yeah. My Beef and all that stuff, and the one night a week he filled in for Carson, it was clear he was destined for that job he was sharp it It was it was edgy 
And he then backed he, it down over the changed. years. I, yeah. I would say he backed it down over the years. We, he did my benefit. I have a, I started a charity. He did a benefit one year. Jace, Jay is, by the way, one of the nicest guys in the world. Right, right. And he did our benefit, my benefit, the my Insight Youth Project benefit um, for teenage uh, homeless teens. And and one night we, we were up there we were doing this, the benefit at the Will Turn, and John Lovitz, I got John Lovitz to do it. This is when John Lovitz had started comedy. John was doing this horrible pussy-looking bit, and I'm like, and, <laughs> and I'm watching it. I'm not thinking, because I, I wanted to put butts in seats. I wanted to make money, so John Lovitz. So Leno comes up to me and goes, ah, so it's really a kid's charity, right? You said Lovitz is doing the, the pussy-looking bit. That's great, Titus. That's great. You really know how to work a kid's charity. And I... And I said, "Come on, he's being he's being edgy." I said, "Jay, I said I saw you live a bunch of times before I, you know, when I was starting out." And I said, "You were really edgy." He goes, "Yeah, you know, I gave edgy up. You know, I gave edgy up." He goes, uh, "He goes because uh, uh, not everybody wants to see edgy." And I remember thinking, part of me kind of a little bit died a little bit, you know. And yeah. Jay still like, but then again, you you can't fault that he made thirty two million dollars a year for twenty years. He made a conscious decision that he was going he to be he Middle did. America appeal guy, yeah. and it and it worked because the Tonight Show continued to be the most successful late night show yeah. uh, and uh, to the point where it got they they took him out of it and and the guy they put in next didn't didn't work out very right. well right. and i've had some uh, i've had some i think i'll probably never be on conan o'brien's show I actually ran into the springsteen concert Why? and he just called well me and adam crowley got into a thing when i remember when remember when conan o'brien went on 60 minutes and he talked about leno he was like leno's fault i was like how the fuck do you as a comic rip on another comic for something that a network president right. made a decision right. on and that he, was that whole thing was such an anti leno thing and, I, and again i'm not a necessarily a leno defender but anybody who used logic knows that that was NBC fucking that up. Royally. Yeah, have you been in show business? Because <laughs> it's it's usually not the talent that fucks it up. No. I mean, talent will kill themselves. Talent will tell them to give themselves a heroin addiction or or die of a have Prince die of a fucking prescription overdose. But talent rarely fucks the scheduling yeah. up. We're yeah. not involved in it. Not at all. So I, I remember we talked about it, and and it was it, it made me. It's interesting how you see some like uh, Conan never went on the road. He never started as a road comic playing right. clubs where there was pool tables while you're trying to do comedy while guys are playing fucking pool. While you're playing <laughs> bikers playing pool behind the audience while you're doing jokes. So you be, you get a much thicker skin. You're right. sitting in a condo that that was flooded six months before, so now the carpet is moldy, and you're staying there. They're pay, making you stay there, and you you know I actually came home with that. I had to get I had to get antibiotic shots for like three weeks because my lungs had spores in them, <laughs> and so. So that's that's where I came from. You expect to get screwed over by a network. You probably totally, you man. probably I, yeah. walked in like when when Fox did your show. You, there must have been always something lurking in the back of your mind, going, "There's no, oh Jesus! Oh, you just spilled coffee. Yes, <laughs> yes, nice job. I'm glad you heated it up too. <laughs> oh my God! If there was an engineer in here, they would be so pissed at me right now. Oh God! Thank you, Christopher Titus, handing me napkins. None of this you know is getting what? edited that's out. That's a guy that has kids. Son of a Bitch. I actually did the scan of the room like a superhero and found napkins. I didn't find a weapon. I actually found something to clean up the mess. Damn it. Damn you, kids. That is actually a superhero uh, trait that has yet to be uh, taken weird. advantage of. Dad man. He basically he he gets to school on time. He has napkins. Uh, I can't tell he, you that in, in this scenario. The he says, zip up your pants a lot. The supervillain in the scenario is our head engineer, who would absolutely have, he would literally... I, I will say this, I'm looking at it right now, nothing got on the board, thank nope, God. Right nope. to the edge of the board, though. Uh, see, that's that's my superhero power, is yeah. that I, I might spill, but it's never going in the equipment. All right, so all your notes are absolutely ruined, and I'm going to have to remember these. That's uh, what the, We were talking about Leno. Oh, oh, so in the back of your mind, when you got that Fox show, as great of a of a opportunity as that was... 
it was your mentality, there's no way this is going to last or go the way I want it to? Yeah, or or, or had, were you dazzled well, you know, by you it? You know, it's weird. I had two deals before that where it was exactly that, where like I, you'd come in and they'd give you, they signed me a writer and the writer was the writer was like horrible. Like he never performed stand-up. The weird thing about stand-up comedy is that you, you become this person who knows how to get on stage and make an audience laugh. And you know what's funny and what's not. And it's because you take, you have to take a poll every night and your yeah. poll is laughter. You know, and these executives will come in. That's the only thing that bothered me. The first two deals I had was I would go, this isn't funny. And they would go, no, no, yeah, it is. Do it. And I'd be like, and I wanted to go, hey, hey, have you ever been on stage in yeah. front of a bunch of people? Have yeah. you ever, have you had to pay your bills and, and, and it eat? By being funny, because I had to at one nighters. So I went, we, I mean, places where I was playing like a a, a converted. We did, you see these one night tours for the south. It was a disco with an octagon shaped dance floor, had lights in it, and they didn't have lights overhead, so they lit the dance floor up while you're doing comedy. So you look like Dracula doing comedy. It was bizarre. I have seen stand up comedy in a bowling alley. Yes, and it wasn't a room separate from the bowling alley, which is what I thought. <laughs> it was at the back of the bowling alley. I did. So sh- every punchline was covered by. You know, Bang. Yeah, and, <laughs> and drunk guys screaming about you know getting the seven ten split or whatever. Well, that's it is. annoying. Is that people think comedy you can do you can do comedy anywhere? Band, <laughs> I think bands have the same problem too. But yeah. there's a point you're like, no, you can't. Comedy needs focus and yeah. attention. The worst one I ever did was in Wendover, Nevada. I was on the corner of a they put like a this platform on top of the, these slot machines in the corners, a little casino, and you were and it wasn't it wasn't in the lounge. You were in the casino, so I'm on standing on top of these slot machines, and there's people playing the slot machine. And there's like blackjack tables, and I just finally, I was so mad. I finally just said, you know what? I'm getting that blackjack table. And I started heckling the blackjack table, which pissed the pit boss off because they all turned and they all started drinking and laughing, and they weren't playing blackjack anymore. Oh wow! Yeah. So, but, but you know, but I only had one table. It was a casino. I had one table of four guys hammered. So road test. I mean, this. But go, so, this you, goes you, to the mentality of of where most stand up comics are, which is you guys are. Uh, insane to begin with. Right. Uh, probably, you have to be delusional to be a comedian. Well, because of, first of all, every one of you has some sort of like dark upbringing, no matter what Jerry Seinfeld says, you're all damaged in some way. Right. You have made your damage very public from the very <laughs> beginning. And you also must have a brain that's wired in a way that says, I will continue to do this even in these circumstances because fill in the blank. The- well, I have no other skills. I, I was I, I was a, I was a DF student who barely graduated. I actually had to go. I graduated. They let me participate in the graduation ceremonies, but I had to go back to summer school after graduation because I was three credits short. I barely made it through school. I suck. Yeah. So you know, it's weird. Comedy made me smart. I got smart uh, after because I had to write comedy. I got I had this weird course for the first like ten years of writing comedy where, like I wrote my first movie script and my first TV script without any instruction. I have a Writers Guild nomination for Titus and I never went to college. Yeah, you know, so it doesn't matter. I mean, people school, school, school. Yeah, okay, yeah, go to school if you can. It'll help. Right. And I wish I had an Ivy League education because imagine how much better Titus would have been or how much better I would be doing now. Um, you know, a lot of people think it's a fluke. Yeah, but uh, but I don't know if I buy that. I mean, I think it's certain people are suited for academia, academia, and then thrive after that and yeah. some people just never work in that environment I mean no. I was like I, I look at uh, I was an amazing high school student I was a terrible college student right and I can understand why I had freedom in college yeah and all I wanted to do was be creative but also just play and uh, I got into radio around that there time. you go and I was really good at it and it wasn't that hard and you know once you kind of find your spot 
you and you thrive in that situation. I mean, almost every conversation I have in this room, and I've talked to writers and actors and producers and showrunners, Nina Tassler, who ran CBS Primetime right. for years, who, by the way, as an executive, one of the few that actually came out of a theater program, actually was an actor, there was you on go. stage, see, see, now that why, right. and why she has had right. so much success, I think. Right, because she has a basic knowledge of the uh, of, of the of the ba- what it takes. Yeah. You know, if you've if you've if you've had to re- uh, write scenes for your theater class, if you had to perform in plays, you know what it takes. Yeah, you if know, you the, love actors, you if know you the stress love of it, creative, right, re- creativity. Right. Yeah, you know, I, and when I say it's hard, it ain't digging ditches. But the other side of it is, it, it's such a weird muscle to try to let go of everything and become natural in a place that's unnatural. Cameras, lights, right. whatever, audience, and and to find that real. I, I learned a lot from Dana Carvey when I started. I got to watch Dana. I, I, I got to open for Dana years ago when I started comedy a long time ago, and I, I used to watch him every show, and it was amazing. How natural he is all the time. Right. I would watch that dude. Dude, he taught me something amazing about comedy, and he doesn't remember. I had he did my benefit a couple of years ago, and he, he doesn't remember telling me this. But uh, I said I never forgot it, and I've told comic after comic, you got to learn to say the same thing again for the first time when you do stand up comedy. Yeah, yeah. And I would watch him do seven shows in a week, you know, and I, I would just be stunned at how every. Every night, the same joke would have a little different twist, a little different inflection. Whatever his mood was, it would go with the joke. And it would be just as funny or funnier, but he would just, he learned how to say the same thing again for the first time. The guys I marvel at the most are the guys who do make you feel, and I, I have been such a comedy fan for such a long time that I analyze it too much while I'm actually watching it. But the guys who look like they are talking off the top of their head as they're doing it. And part of it is because they look like they enjoy what they're doing. I mean, oh, yeah. you're like that, too. I you look like comedy. you couldn't be any happier than when you're on stage. No, it's breathing, man. It's breathing. And so if it looks like it's like anytime I see a live show, like you can say what you want about Billy Joel. But I've probably seen Billy Joel live more than I've seen anybody else. Yeah. And part of the joy of that is because he really has always looked like he's having a fucking blast yeah, on Spring stage. stage. Spring Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like every, every show is amazing okay. for him. And you can see him. The thing about Springsteen is you can, and, I, and, and I've got to meet him a couple of times. I, wrote a, I did a 28-minute bit off voice in my head about meeting him. And uh, uh, But I, I've, I've gone, we went some this year, and even... Even on a bad night, like I've seen him on, a, I've seen him enough to where I've seen a night where you can see he wasn't happy. Yeah, there's a point where he downshifts and he goes to another gear, and he also doesn't give a fuck. I I learned that from Springsteen. <laughs> I also tell that you know my wife's a comic and and. And we do this thing before we go on stage. We're like, fuck these people, and we don't mean we don't respect the audience. Right. We mean that you can't worry about the audience. The audience. So many comics walk on stage worried what the audience is going to think, and I have it. I I don't why I don't want to suck, but. The best I've ever been on stage, when, well, here's what I'm saying, I don't care what you think, this is what's funny to me, I'm doing this. Um, whether it's Arm the Children or this new bit I'm telling, I'm telling the story about teaching my daughter. My daughter, we were watching the, the Ferguson riots and my daughter, and I'm, I, think, I think I'm being a good parent, and my daughter, who's 13 at the time, goes, Dad, why are black people so angry? And I remember thinking, oh God, let's watch SpongeBob, oh God. Because, you know, I look at the color I am, I mean, it should be illegal to ask me that question. The only place you can find this color is in a napkin factory. How does anybody answer that? question yeah well so it would turn into an hour and a half long conversation about black people and what slavery and where they went through and why why there's this underlying thing and uh and it just got worse and at one point i realized (laughs) at one point i'm in the middle of it i realized oh if i keep talking i'm gonna be sitting across from her principal in a couple weeks you know because i'm saying stupid crap and then she's asking me worse questions and and i just walk into a principal she's gonna say "Uh, mr titus did you have a long talk with your daughter about black people and slavery because there was a riot on thursday and your daughter organized it (laughs) 
I'm like, oh no, really? What, was it bad? Well, here's one of her picket signs. Uh, we're all pink on the inside like salmon. Did you oh, tell her that? God. Yes, I did. I'm sorry. I had to pull the ripcord. So, <laughs> so whenever I write, like I would always choose, and I'm a huge fan, I mean, of Carlin and, and Pryor, uh, because those were the first two guys. And, and my wife, uh, who's a comic, doesn't get Pryor. She, she's like, I don't get it. I don't get why it's funny. He's meandering. And I'm like, I, I'm like it's different. You, gotta, you, have to, you have to put it in a historical context. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the time, when Pryor started doing that, um, he Pryor went from trying to be Cosby on, on, uh, on what's the guy, um, uh, right here, right here. Oh, Ed Sullivan, Ed Sullivan, yeah. To, to, yeah, he was wearing a suit and he was to, doing he, yeah, TV Goofy material. paper bits. Yeah, and, yeah. and then he went to Vegas one day and in the middle of his set walked off, just yeah. walked off and said, right. I can't do this shit no more. And he walked off and then he disappeared into the Bay Area and became Bridget Pryor. Um uh, Carlin the same way. Carlin Carlin was this really likable blah 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 comic, and then yeah, one same day thing, he wearing went, a suit, looking he respectable. Went, he went fuck it, and he started being serious yeah. and writing what he what he and became George Carlin. Um, so I think I think right now every any comic who tries to do comedy to be famous is going to fail miserably. Right, they may get famous, but they're but they have to. I call it growing a tumor on your soul. There's a point. <laughs> There's a point where you like wake up and you're like, wow, I hate. That's what happened to me. Twelve years in, I, I that's why I wrote Norman Rockwell. Twelve years in, I went, I fucking hate what I'm doing. I'd be on stage and see, like the bit I had to do next, and it was horrible. Like yeah. I said, horrible. Hey, every year, my the, the bit I always quote. I actually had this is an actual bit I had. Uh, hey, my shower's got two settings, Arctic and lava, and I would do this <laughs> bit. Yeah, dude, it was lame and and. And but I would see every comic I think who reaches a level of success. I just talk about this with with Brad and so many other comics talk, have talked about this. Louis and Mark Maron. It's, it's like there is a point at which you can go from being a technically proficient comic. I on was stage headlining already. Yeah, to being a really great comic because it turns personal it, it you start to plumb the depths of the darkest corners of your soul and you start being it sounds like a cliche but you start being real you really bring out right. your shit and find a way to a be relatable also give people something they've never seen before or heard before and and kind of deal with it on stage and that's that was what flipped that switch for you yeah norman rockwell was like that was the light for me man that was the light and, and then i realized the weird thing is Norman Rockwell, I mean, even if you look back now, you know, Forbes did this weird thing. They said Titus was doing Louis 15 years before Louis was, <laughs> and uh, which was really high compliment. I, you know, Louis is brilliant. But I, years ago, I mean, I had club owners that wouldn't book me after because I, I went from this happy boy, hey, the Arctic and lava, to to uh, ranting about my mom's suicide and, uh, you know, uh, anti-dad. And you look back now, those bits seem tame, but at the time, it would be people like, holy shit, what is this guy talking about? Right, right. Yeah, you know? Well, let me, let me actually deal with that, and we're going to jump all around. We already have, Chris, so just bear with me here. But it, 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 right now, comedy is in such an interesting place because, for one, it's really good right now. I mean, it, there are a lot of good guys working. There right? seems to be a, yeah. a bit of a resurgence. A lot of different styles. Yeah. Too. And like the comedy store is uh, it, like happening again when it was just in the doldrums for a while. Right. It just seems like people are gravitating back to stand-up comedy right now. And also, you guys can't, couldn't be more in a position of 
instant critique than you are right now. A, uh, people are, you know, recording your material while you're on stage. And no, putting not it on my you. show, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nah. See, I want to talk about that because I got you, my black belt in those six, man. I will, I will take your phone and wing it against the wall. But I more no... than ever, you're dealing with uh, social media, people responding to you, and you don't shy away from really hard material. And there are more and more guys who are out there kind of doing this stuff and opening themselves up to the political correctness police and all that stuff. So you're in a weird position, but at the same time, there seems to be more and more edgy stuff being put out there. I don't there think anybody day. respects a pussy comedian. I don't think anybody respects a guy, you know. And, and I think your job – who's I talking to? Somebody, there's two kinds of edge that I find. Uh, like like I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of talking about anal sex. I'm not a blowjobs. I'm just not a big fan of it. I, I, it's easy. If, I always say if Red Fox did it better in 1961, why are you wasting your fucking time? time you know what i mean yeah. and there's so much of that going on right now there's a lot there's this whole camp of comics and this is probably going to get me in trouble down the line there's a whole camp of comics that are just dick jokey and and fake edgy it's like fake you're talking about shitting your pants you're talking about blowjobs you're talking about eating pussy okay whatever blah blah it's it's been done it's the basis level of comedy and you call yourself edgy you're really breaking new ground and, you know you're actually not breaking new ground right right it, this is ground that was broken by mom's mably in, in the 30s what the fuck are you doing <laughs> so then you see, and then you take guys like um, yeah, Patton Oswalt, who Patton, uh, Patton Oswalt, who uh, Werewolves and Lollipops, still to this day, when I'm feeling it, uh, like in a weird writing slump, I'll go listen to Werewolves and Lollipops just to remember how important words are. What what uh, break that down for me? Uh, Patton Oswalt did this album called Werewolves. and No, Lollipop. right, yeah. but but what but what so, aspect so of it? I mean, he, his his choice, his word choice is so specific in what he does. I, and I'm not saying take Patton's style, no. but I'm just saying he reminds Patton reminds me how important words are. You know, the joke's the joke, mm-hmm. um, but you can you can really add. It's like putting superchargers on a joke by picking the correct words. Right. Um, Carlin did the same thing. Carlin, you go. I'll go watch. Like again, another bit. I'll I'll go pick out Modern Man or that that opening bit of his the opening bit of his of his last special, where I'm just like wow, yeah. like wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was. I mean, he was all about words, and it was yeah. always all about words. And and but I tell stories. So yeah. so so I, so if I can take that. If I can take that, make it makes I because you know I, I did a thing at Burt Kreischer's podcast where I told people how to write stories because people go comics on the and go, dude, how did you write a twenty-eight minute bit about meeting Bruce Springsteen? I mean, there's a bit on the on uh, um I mean the last album, Angry Pursuit of Happiness, called "Here's How Life Goes from Birth to Death," and it's eighteen minutes. And comedy was like, we have to cut that because if we can't we you can't show the middle of it, you, you know. And I said, okay, you know, so it's yeah. on the album, yeah. but it's the best thing I've ever written, I think. And it and it's from birth to death, and it's really inspiring and heart crushing at the same time which which Carlin had I really love that about Carlin and I'm a, such a student of comedy I went to, I used to go to sleep every night at when I was five years old listening to Cosby pre-rapey Cosby I didn't know he's raping people <laughs> I, do, I, was I was just... I was I was also a five-year-old you had to, we'd have to explain roofing and raping to me at the time uh, I had those <laughs> albums I before I had music albums I had uh, to wrestle my brother whom I slept with that, and that's that was my favorite of all time I, it was a Christmas present and I listened to it uh, constantly uh, yep. Bill Cosby is a very funny guy yeah, right yeah, yeah. And, and, oh, oh God God. Anyway, and, yeah. And wonderfulness and, and oh, yeah. all, I had all of them. Why and is then, there air? And now I can't even it's such a weird that's the thing about comics, man. You can't 
Unless you're Stanhope. Like if Stan, if it came out that Stanhope had raped a bunch of people, you'd be like, well, okay, yeah. I can't wait to see his new special. You'd be like, I want to see how how he yeah. deals with that. Yeah, it, it's 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 for Stanhope. It's kind of like, yeah, I kind of knew that was coming. All right, <laughs> yeah, right, uh, right. Yeah. Stanhope, you know, Stanhope. Uh, it, not that, I'm not saying about us, but at least Stanhope is who he is. He he's he's unabashedly who he is. Right. Cosby gave us this big. I'm the perfect dad, America's dad. I'm, I'm America. The family, this. I'm the G-rated and guy that you, everybody can come see. Who rapes and roofies women? Oh, you know, yeah. like, like I think I think the cutoff point is like you, you're if you if 50 women say you raped them, you're a rapist. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was one of the few guys during the OJ trial going. Yeah, but there's a lot of evidence. You know, it's like I am the wishiest, washiest right. guy there can be. Uh, with Cosby, I'm going, oh, no. Uh, out of I did those for a long 50? time, too. Yeah. And then I can't tell you who, but I sat down. I did a show recently with somebody, and we were it was this weird pilot thing we were taping, and we were guests on this talk show, and and they knew them. Their father knew them, knew him really well. And uh, the person who I'm not going to his name said, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that goes. This goes way back. This goes way back yeah. to the show. It's uh, that's the thing is that it's this thing now that everybody kind of knew about. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, yeah. Well, we had right. heard comics had heard for a long time. You know, in San Francisco, we heard that it was always weird. Cosby Show was on. And by the way, this is all hearsay and opinion of mine. Cosby Good, Show. Thank was, you, and, uh, uh, and not the opinion of me, Larry Morgan. Thank yeah, you. right. So Cosby was on, and he kept working Harris and Tahoe. Now he, now he had a show on. He was the biggest show on television. This was before the internet and all these other shows. This is when, like, when like the biggest show on TV was watched by thirty million people. Yeah. Yet he kept going to this casino, Harris and Tahoe, and I found out they found out that there was there's some gambling issues. Oh. <laughs> so he had a contract with them for a long time, but there was there was there was you know there was there was rumors that he would fly women around all the time. So I mean, I I. T- I have met my heroes. I yeah. got to meet Springsteen. I've got to meet. Um, I got to meet Carlin. I got to meet Robin. I got to meet um, Carvey. I got to meet. Uh, I didn't get to meet Prince, but he was right next to me at the Roosevelt one night. You can you know? count that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I've got. I've got to kind of be around. And Cosby's the only hero I never wanted to meet because I knew from what I'd heard from the from the grapevine of comics there was a darkness, and I didn't. I didn't. I don't want to meet. Please don't destroy. You know my hero, and 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 then he did. <laughs> so uh, I I have to. You. This is the second time. You've mentioned Prince uh, out in the hallway before we get started. I would, Huge fan. I would not connect you to Prince necessarily. I don't know why. Although, obviously, we've been talking about him a lot lately. And so many people, when you revisit his body of work and you just go, oh, my God, look at what he did. Why Prince? Where Where did that Here's come a, from? Just let me tell you what a level of Prince fan I am. At one point, I had a white chocolate dolphin from his <laughs> wedding to Maite and a napkin with the symbol on it in a glass case what? in my house. I had, and it sat there for three years. And one day I woke up like, what am I doing? How did you get that? I had a dude in my acting class whose wife had designed the wedding, had actually done a lot of design work for the wedding. And he goes, he goes, and he just once showed an acting class with this like this plastic bag with a white, I go, what is this? He goes, this is from Prince, Prince's wedding. I go, oh my God, it's from Prince's wedding. I was so freaked out. Um, I, I became a fan. I used to drive a truck for this company uh, years ago when I was like 18. And, and I uh, actually I was doing, actually I was 19 because I was doing comedy and I was working a day job and doing comedy at night. And I would listen, uh, the 1998 album would come out. I read an article in, uh, um, in the San Francisco Chronicle about his appearance at the Oakland Coliseum where he, and, and it was just this crazy review. And I said, who is this guy? And then a comic, uh, uh, Warren Thomas, he's not around anymore, uh, sadly, uh, 
I went to, we were doing a gig and I picked him up at his house and he had Dirty Mind on the wall. I'm like, what is that? He goes, oh, white boy, you got to listen to this. <laughs> and so I listened to that. Then I got Controversy and then I got, and then 1998 came out and, then I, and I was in. I mean, I, I, have, I have owned everything Prince has ever done. I own stuff that you could only get on the internet that they release. But also, it's not just musically, but Prince started doing things years ago. I mean, I remember in 19... 96 or 97 when the internet was just hitting he started his own MPG music club and was releasing stuff over the internet right and then my year might not be right and to, had taken over and I remember Chaos and Disorder I used to read the liner notes at the back of the album Chaos and Disorder he rips Warner Brother. he said this is the last piece of music I will ever be writing for Warner Brother. he puts it on the album yeah he's like here's an album to release by Warner Brothers and it says fuck you Warner Brothers on the back of it <laughs> <laughs> and you got to respect that in a way, and then he and then he never stopped. Um, and you said you took that model basically, and yeah. you yeah. own your own stuff. now. It took me a while. So what happened was I did the landmark form in '95, and then I and I wrote Norman Rockwell. I, I threw all my material away, and I wrote Norman Rockwell's Bleeding. And I wrote Norman Rockwell's Bleeding, and I thought I was going to be out of comedy. I was going to quit comedy. I was 12 years in. Uh, I call it growing a tumor on my soul. I hated comedy. I didn't like anything I was doing because of what you were doing. Right. I was. I was. I was a lame middle of the road headliner. Mm-hmm. You, you know. And uh, I took the landmark form. It, it kind of inspired me to, to do better. I threw everything I wrote away. Wrote wrote this real true story about my family and my life. And you know, interesting enough, comics always worry about small audiences. Don't ever worry about small audiences because the night I got the person from Fox to. Uh, Take me, take me into Fox. There was eight people. I'd rented the Hudson Theater. I took the last eighty five hundred bucks I had. I rented the Hudson Theater for four weeks on Mondays and Tuesdays. How big is that? Ninety nine seats. And uh, and you got to remember, no one knew who the hell I was. Yeah. I, I think to this day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and I went in on Mondays and Tuesdays. I did Norman Rockwell's Bleeding and. Uh, um, uh, I had a really good manager at the time, Bruce Smith, and he helped me kind of, kind of develop it. He kind of guided me. You know, he didn't write it at all, but he would go. He, I had this whole thing about my my childhood, and he said you need to have some stuff about present day. So I wrote these four stories about my current relationships related to my life. Anyway, so so I, one night there were eight people there, and one of them happens to be executive from Fox who had read the review and drama log. Uh, and went back, and, and next thing I know, I have a TV show. If if the Fox show hadn't happened, though, was that experience of doing that, of exposing yourself in that way, enough to give you a second wind? Would you would, would you have continued and yes. quit comedy, or would no. you have rebooted basically what you've done? Would you have rebooted yourself and gone back on the road with that new can't, material? Can't you no? can't. Any comic that has gone on stage and figured out what he does, you know, and, and I've heard it for years. When you start comedy, comics, older comics would go, you, you're not even going to know who you're going to be for 10 years. You're not going to know who the hell what you're doing for 10 years. And you're like, and that's so annoying because every young comic is like, F you, man. I got this, dude. I'm, I know who I am. No, you don't. At 10 years, you're going to be like, oh, wow. I, uh, and it took me 12. And at 12 years in, I was like, I know what I want now. And once I did Norman Rockwell... Uh, and it worked, and people were like coming up to me, and they weren't saying funny show. They were saying, "Hey, dude, thank you for that show." My mom and I, uh, my mom's insane. Me and my dad used to get in fist fights. Uh, the and that bit anti dad. Me and my dad I made my dad watch it, and my dad and I are now friends now. That show. People used to write me letters about Titus. To this day, still they'll be like, you know, my family would stop on Tuesday night because we were so because we we came from a totally wasted white trash family and they'd be like and we would stop and watch that show and it would bring up all stuff from our lives and we you helped heal the family which is weird that's a bonus funny first man you got to be funny first you can't make it bigger than it is but funny first and and uh, so that's a total bonus but that must have affected you but I would talking- you can't go back by the way you can't go back once you're on stage and yeah. you're and you're and you're spewing your pure truth like you, the freedom that is 
there was no way in hell I could have gone back and done anything. But, but it did give you impetus to start that phase two of what you do on stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I yeah. mean, it, you didn't want to quit comedy at that point because once. He, no, I was going to quit. I was going to open a body shop. And then once I did Norman Rockwell, yeah. it, it, it relit all the fires. Right. And then I thought, oh, my God. And then my wife, my ex-wife, you know, my, she, she was cheating on me. And then that's where Love is Evil came from. And Love is Evil is that one where people. I had a, I have a letter that I keep in my nightstand from a dude. He hit me in Sacramento, and he says he, he was going to kill himself. He wrote this letter to me. He said, he goes, I was going to kill myself on Valentine's Day. Comedy Central, I asked him there. I asked him to air um, Love is Evil on Valentine's on Day. On Valentine's Day. Yeah, because it's such a, it's oh, such a brutal. Beautiful. But the whole point, I never write, try to write something just to be brutal. That's the other thing is that like I always try to figure out, I'll take you through brutal to a point, hopefully. Hopefully, I always get to a point. Uh, through like love is evil is like here's how fucked up relationships are right love is still possible right that was the whole point of that all right so before you said you go on stage and and fuck them I mean again not about not caring about the people but you don't get wrapped up in the reaction but having heard that once you started doing Norman Rockwell there must have been something that said my instincts are right people do actually care about this and even if I don't know how this night is going to go. I know I can affect people. I mean, that that's a huge confidence booster because you realize you're doing material now at this point, Norman Rockwell on, that is actually impacting people and not just making them laugh. Yeah, and, yeah. That and, that raises everything to a new level. Well, that's where that's where the that's where the weird arrogance comes in because once Norman Rock, yeah, no, and, and <laughs> oh yeah, let's, you, let's call yeah, it, your superhero power. Let's call, it, kicks let's call in. it damaging arrogance. <laughs> Because it, it, there is a stupidity. I am revealing truth yes, to the world. You can never do that, oh, man. No. You have to. You have to. You have to throw in a fart joke every once in a while. <laughs> but I also. But I also think you got to write. I write. I. You know. I said for years. I want to write a joke. I don't want to piss them off. I don't want to piss them off. My job is not to piss them off. Right. You know, as a comic, my job is to make them laugh. So my job is also, though, I think, to take hard subject matter and make them laugh about that. Carlin did that. Like guys that I love would take a really hard subject matter. You know, um, but I, I don't I don't want to piss them off either. I want to figure out how do I get them into something that they don't want to talk about. Arm the children, the gun thing was a big deal. When I wrote Arm the Children, I had people. I kind of wrote it as this weird twist where people think I'm pro gun, and at the end I flip it and I go, "Do you see how Hitler?" Because they're, they're cheering in the room. Arm the children, and I go, and I just go, "Do you see how Hitler got started?" <laughs> I said, "Did you hear you guys? You guys were yelling, arm the children." And and I had one lady. We we released it on my on my website. And one lady wrote me this angry letter. She downloaded it and watched it. And, and the, the, I, I said, you guys are a social experiment that I just performed, and you hor- you failed horribly. <laughs> and she wrote this angry letter. It said, I am not a social experiment. Damn it, blah, blah, blah. This whole thing about uh. guns and why why I was wrong to be flipping with, messing with people like that and blah, blah, blah. And it's still one of my best bits, man. And, <laughs> and you know, when I wrote I'm Whitey and I apologize. Yeah. You know, we're having such, we're still having racial problems in the country. I, I wrote that in, man, way back. And, and that was that was angry pursuit. I was a fifth annual end of the world tour. And and we were still having so much race problems. And I wrote, I I, and I didn't actually write. I got tired of hearing the white man this, the white man that, because yeah. I you know I got tired of it. And so I originally wrote that bit as okay, fine, I'll apologize for and I and I personally apologize for slavery. I apologize to the Japanese. I apologize to the Indians, and I, and I apologize to everybody. The weird thing was I I wrote the bit kind of ironically pissed off, uh, you know, like yeah yeah, it's all my fault. And people like white people were like, oh, thank God someone said it. Good uh-huh. now, and it turned into this weird. Like I got this black audience now because they're like, yeah, thank God someone apologized. <laughs> and, 
and then I then I kind of changed the bit. Actually, the yeah. audience the audience kind of changed the bit, and, and and I realized, and I started doing more research into slavery because again, not a, not the best student in the world, <laughs> and I realized, oh wow, black people have been fucked over a really long time, and mm-hmm. the white people always go, yeah, but I didn't do it. Yeah, I know, but you got to recognize it. Yeah, you right. Gotta, so that's where this bit about my daughter teaching my daughter about racism came from. Where I I, I want. I want to point out to my daughter because she's a she's a little white privileged girl. My my kids are little white privileged kids, and she'd never, as I say in the show, I said her textbooks at her little private school are probably written in Texas. Like her her <laughs> textbooks probably say, uh, "Slavery was bad. Lincoln freed the slaves. Good job, white guy." <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> that's it in a yeah. nutshell. One page, one chapter. That's all. Yeah, but I think if you're not, I don't think I man. Like, like we're talking way too much. About, but I think if you're not, if you're not pushing it at all, like if you're just talking about titties and ass, you yeah. probably you're gonna work. You're gonna work, but you're never gonna break through. But every you know you're gonna piss people off with the stuff you're talking about. You recognize there are gonna be people who are gonna. Respond. I'm mad if I if if I don't walk two to four people a week. Out of a five Seriously? show week, yeah, I, I'm not banging up against it. I don't want to piss a lot of them. Like I saw Carlin when I when I, we we spread my dad's ashes at the casino in Vague in uh, in Tahoe when my dad died, okay. and Carlin was there. And I went. To, I had the TV show at the time. I called the concierge. Said, Can I get tickets? And they put me right up front. And I watched Carlin. And I, it's weird because it was the ski weekend uh, winter thing. And everybody was like tense. Carlin was just hard. He was working on his new stuff. I was hysterical. I was laughing so hard because I'm a comic and I got it. Yeah. And uh, and and at one point, Carlin goes at the end. And he goes, he goes, well, everybody. He goes, I got to do five more minutes, but I don't really like you people. Good night. And he walked <laughs> off. And I lost my shit. I was like, that's ballsy. But I don't really like it. He said skiing humps or something. He said something horrible and walked off. And I thought, wow, you know, he, he true to himself. And I think any comic that's not true to himself. There's some weird stuff going on recently too with comics that. Um, like you said, there's a lot of great guys. You know, Todd Berry's funny. Right. Like some people are developing their own styles. Like that's what I find more. For a while, everybody tried to be uh, Seinfeld, or they tried to be Leno, or they tried to be everybody. Well, yeah, I mean, it, and you must have started off by. Oh, I wanted to be Cosby so yeah. bad. So you were trying, you, and so Robin you were, too. Robin too. I, I, I was like, yeah. I, I tried to be so much energy. I'll go ahead, but tell stories like Cosby. It was crazy. Yeah, everybody tries to emulate somebody starting out, and, and then, then I was you, Carvey for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so. If you know you're going to piss people off, has there been material that you felt like, oh, I did push it? That you you talked about how that bit kind of morphed into something a little different, the the yeah. whitey stuff. Um, have you regretted any pushing nope. something? Good. Nope. I, I, <laughs> I did. I did a bit when when uh, remember when and this is this is a bit. I, this never ended up on a special because because the because the, the problem with topical is it goes away eventually. Uh, so so. I, so I find if you tell stories about your real life, you can tell them forever um, if you want to. I usually don't. I do 18 months, and I'm on the new special. But uh, like we're filming the new special down in Escondido on July 9th because it's time. It's time. Once it starts You've getting- always been that way, though, right? I mean, you, you basically scrap everything after a special, and, and, yeah, and that's, start, and that's really common again. now, I think, because comics recognize they can't get away with – Doing the same material for several years because there's just it's it's too available and everybody knows it and that seems to be the standard. But you were doing that yeah way early back. on I, yeah I, I you know when I lost my TV show from because that stupid meeting uh, and comics if you're listening never go to the meeting with the network president you you <laughs> you can't take a guy who's his whole life has been basically running his own life com- writing the comedy showing up at the gig performing the gig you know screwing the waitresses you can't take that guy and then take him to a, a diplomatic meeting with. <laughs> The network president who's going to give you a dumb idea because I because because I, I don't have the I don't have that filter to go that's not oh that's an interesting idea yeah. I, don't, I go that's a fucking dumb idea so if anybody wants 
to know how Christopher Titus yeah. no longer got to do the Titus show on Fox. It, that story is available everywhere. I don't want to make you have to rehash the whole no, thing. No, I won't. But, but, but so, so don't go to the meeting. Don't, <laughs> don't go to the go meeting. Don't go to the meeting. Just don't fucking go to the meeting. So oh. when I lost the TV show, I was yeah. like, okay, um, uh, these, I let this big corporation control my life. And and this is where the Prince thing comes back. Now we're back to Prince. Okay, good. So Prince, uh, Warner Brothers controlled his life. Actually, Warner Brothers, his contract, because uh, he signed it so young, they owned anything he did. He actually had to get permission to release Most Beautiful Girl in the World because uh, he had to get permission. They None of them liked it. So he sends the Most Beautiful Girl in the World to, to Warner Brothers. They said, we don't like this. We're not going to release it. And he said, can I have it then? Made them sign a contract to release it. He released it, and it was number one in 58 countries. Right, so, right. so when I heard that story, I was like, okay. So what I did was I said, I want to do... After I did the, I did the landmark forum, I, I said I'm gonna. I already had two deals with TV shows. They went horribly wrong. The, the writers were just crap. I said I'm writing my own TV show. I go. I am not. There's no way I'm not gonna do it. If I, I'm not, I don't want a TV show. If I can't be involved in it, I don't want to be involved in it. So, uh, so then I. That's how we got Titus. I wrote on it. Uh, you know, I had great guys. Uh, Jack Kenny and Brian Hargrove were just great, great writers. And we had Chris Sheridan who, who ended up on Family Guy, and and Patrick Megan who was a writer's assistant. We had just great crew on that thing. And we all, you know, you got to keep inspired though. You know, how do we go? And I used to say in the room all the time, "What's funnier? That's funny. What's funnier?" That I wouldn't. I wasn't. I, I wasn't. I wasn't willing to stay with a normal sitcom joke. How far can we go? Right. You know, we did a, we did a, a molestation episode where my niece got molested, and I took a bat to the guy. This is a sitcom. Yeah, and you guys got a lot of attention about that. I mean, it, there wasn't that many. Fox had built a reputation on being that from early on. They were the you know naughty network with yeah. uh, you know. Uh, uh, love and marriage, love. Yeah, but that was that was kind of service level. That was like just it no, was really totally. bickery. Yeah, but but they they did give you that opportunity to yes, really push that on as much as you had to maybe fight it. But that show was unlike anything else on TV. Well, at the what time. we did was we th- that deal with Fox. Like I had two big deals before that. Then the Fox deal was so low money; they didn't care. They didn't spend any money on yeah. us. So we kind of got put in this room. And I and and Jack uh, Jack Kenny and Brian Hargrove uh, they they kind of guided me through it and we and I like I used to bring in twenty two episode ideas every year and then and then so and they'd be and I got pissed one day about the second year, I go how come no one's coming in with episode ideas and they go it's your life idiot oh right uh, but it's I would, all on you dude I would come in with a pitch like I want to have an intervention episode where we get my dad to drink again because there was a time my dad had met this girl and he and he quit drinking for about a month and he was worse. You know, he was worse. He was like more laser focused, and if you did something wrong, he was up your ass. And I was like, we got to get him drinking again. And, and you know, and we and he started eventually because she left. <laughs> but so we did this. We pitched to the network. We were doing an intervention episode where we have an intervention where we sit around him and get him to drink again. Right. And they at one point <laughs> at one point the network got like what? And they go, they want to do it. We want to do a road rage incident where a guy chases with a gun in a, in a sitcom, and they just kept looking as like we're at one point they think they threw up their hands because the ratings were so good. Yeah. The pilot was called. Dad is dead. Well, I, mean, I, I just watched that this morning because it it, it it gets brought up so much when you look up what the show was about. So many people reference that, and I watched it again this morning. And I and even then, I'm going, I I I haven't seen anything quite like this before or since. I mean, it's all so contained within one tiny little space for yeah. most of it. Yeah. It's very few characters talking to each other. It's like this little mini play. Wait till we shot it. Yeah. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you knew shot that, right? it continuously, right? Yeah, yeah, we shot it like a play because I, I, I thank God for my stupidity about TV because I didn't know, 
like when Jack and Brian, I'm like, okay, so so we're gonna shoot it and we'll shoot the whole thing. And they go, okay, we'll we'll, we'll shoot this scene four times and we'll shoot. I go, what? I said, what? And he goes, yeah, we'll shoot that scene four. I go, you can't do that in front of a live audience. He goes, yeah, that's how it's done. I go, well, I go, how long is the audience here? They go, well, usually they leave at midnight or one. I said. And I've been a live performer. I go, you can't motherfuck an audience like that. Yeah. Are you going to make them sit here from 7 o'clock to midnight? I would kill so I would shoot somebody. And uh, they go, well, that's the way it's done. I go, no, it's not. And they go, well, the actors can't remember the lines. I said, oh, yeah, they can. <laughs> so we so we actually had this weird device where um, and we, I said, I want to write it in one space, in one theater space. So, so our crew, by the way, our crew on Titus was the most amazing because they had to build, it wasn't like Cheers with the bar was set up. Right. They had to build a new set every week. They had to build a, the car shop. We had a couple sets that we would use four or five times a year. Right. And they kind of stacked, stacked to the side. But then we, we did it. We did a hit. We actually brought like 35 tons of snow in to a soundstage. <laughs> and, and, and did a, did a, did a skiing episode. And those guys were great. And, and, it's weird. They I must think. have loved to just be doing something different for a change. It was a blast. Yeah. It was a blast. And the audience, so the audience was there at 7. We would do the first run through 7.30. 7.30, we'd be done by 8. Then we would take a break for 45 minutes, and we'd go up in the writer's room and just start paying. That joke sucked. Told you, blah. We'd repeat each other. <laughs> then then the, the writers, again, great, great writing staff, they would give me some new jokes. Or I'd go, we need a joke for this. What is this? And we'd, we'd pitch on something. Good. And we'd go shoot it again. And the actors, too. Man, I, I got to tell you, that... I wish I – the biggest regret I have in show business is having that meeting with Gail Berman um, because I wish – all I had to have said was, hey, that's 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 a good idea. Let's try that. And then I could have gone back later and talked to him one-on-one and said, hey, you know, listen to it. But even the actors, like we would sit in a room so they'd be building the set and we'd, we'd do our run-through. And i go, all right, guys. And we'd go in this room and we'd sit there for three hours and we would just run the script. So the cool thing was we got beyond that initial where, you, where you, you, you're funny because the lines are funny, but you're just trying to remember them so you're not acting it as well. We would burn through that part so you'd done the lines so many times you could play with them. Mm-hmm. They were in front of you like, wee, right. I, can, I can mold this. And, and Zach Ward, man, me and Zach Ward, and Cynthia too. I just worked with Cynthia on the movie we just shot. Uh, and they were oh, and Keech too, and then and David Shatraw, that that cast, cast was lightning man. in a bottle. Yeah, and yeah. and you know, and I think David Shatraw is still mad at me. He he wouldn't even make a he wouldn't even make an appearance on the DVD box set. He wouldn't even. He was like, nope, don't want to. He was he pissed me. I think Jack Kenny's mad at me too. I thought everybody's over it. I you know I apologize to everybody. I should, but you know I. I in my defense, and I have no defense really. I could have just shut the fuck up. So, but in my defense, I was. I was writing on the show all the time. I was acting on the show all the time. They were sending me also my comics, so I was writing stuff for the TCAs, or I was I was doing comedy bits. I was tour. I was doing press all the time. I was doing I was doing politically incorrect with Bill Maher. I was so I would I'd be working all day, and then I'd go do press for Fox, and then I'd be back at nine in the morning on the set. Plus, I was executive producer on the car, so I was I was, and at one point I walked in. I walked in on the guy that did my T-shirts at the time, and 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 he's a friend of mine, Ron. And I I walk in, and he goes, he just stops and goes, "What the hell happened to you, man?" I go, "What?" And he goes, "You look like you're dying," and I, I I was I was just I was pale. I was working too hard, and I got a little crazy. And I got uh, that meeting with Gail Berman again. I'll talk about it, but I was so we like we were working so fucking hard, and I was just like, you know what? You're the third president we've had in four years. Right? Fuck. <laughs> Can you let us just do the show? Right. You know, and uh, and that was a mistake. So they're mad at you because they love the show, though. I mean, that's... I think we had... We we all agree, looking back on it, it was lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And, you know, and that's a big lesson I learned. But then again, 
could I do it again? Yeah, there's I have an idea for a new show, but but everything is so weird now. Like like and there like whether it comes a comedy special or TV, there's so much now. Right. And and the problem is when you get that much that much stuff, it the quality starts to drop. You know, there's so much bad stuff still. Right. But then at the uh, the uh, my argument to that is a, you can find a place where you can have the creative freedom to do it exactly the way you want to do yeah, it. Yeah. And if it's really good, it'll rise to the top. Have you watched uh, Maria Bamford's show, uh, Lady Maria, Dynamite? Maria is such a different genius. Maria is... No, I, I know, but yeah. would you ever see that on anything no. remotely network? No. Have you watched it? No, no I haven't seen oh, it, but okay. I know Maria. But, but I will go... Like oh, Maria, my God. I will drive to go watch Maria perform. It is absolutely bonkers television, yeah. and in its own way is maybe some of the most brilliant stuff I've ever seen. I, you know, because she, she gets it. to let her. She gets to let her crazy brain come out, and mm-hmm. it's also super personal. And one of the reasons I brought it up is because I think it's the, uh, finally for her an expression of what her brain really looks like on television. Yeah, and some of it's really poignant. There, there. Uh, what channel is this on? It's on Netflix. Okay, it's on Netflix. Yes, yeah, uh, thirteen episodes, I think, and it's it's. M- Fucking brilliant, and I don't know that everybody will get it or everybody will like it, and that's my point. Is but that- that's when you know you've hit it, right? When, look, if I don't want everybody to get me, I don't. I, I, no. I actually, I, and you know, I, I well, want, that's my point. Is that I want enough people to get me, <laughs> right? You know, to where I can have a nice life and my kids get to go to college. But you've proven that. I mean, that's why I'm saying I wouldn't necessarily cross off the idea of coming back and doing something like that again on on whatever outlet because you have that kind of brain, you've got that kind of creativity. The fact that you knew nothing about TV and you stuck to your guns and you shot it the way you did, and then later, again, it's kind of like another pre-Louis thing. Louis was given this thing on FX that nobody really knew what it was going to be, and you can't watch that and say that's typical television. No, these are these no. tiny little movies that, again, it's his brain yeah. kind he, of on he's, TV. He's a, it's, it's weird. He's such stylistically, man, such a, such a brilliant So guy. I think, on the contrary, you have... You have that kind of brain. You've already been through the ringer. You know what works and what doesn't. You could definitely put yourself in a position. Well, to I just do shot. Like we that. just shot Combustion Films. My company just shot our first movie. But, I you know. know. And it, this is based on a pilot you pitched before, right? Pilot. We, we actually shot it, and Brian Cranston directed it. And uh, and it was oh, six fuck, years. Oh fuck! I didn't know that. It was six years ago. Oh, it was in '06. This is and, uh, a special unit you're talking about. Yeah, right? and it, actually, the same guy. Special unit is an interesting story. So. I first, was, first, give the can you give the premise real quick? Due to the Fairness and Disabilities Act, the LAPD has to hire four handicapped undercover detectives, and I play Nick Nolte's mugshot. <laughs> I play the I play the worst cop in LA, and I wanted it to kind of be like Forty Eight Hour. I like I, I really, yeah. that's one of my favorite movies, and uh, um, that's a great movie. It's a great movie. People, Walter Hill, it, man. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, the script is immense. But, yeah. but what those guys, what Nick Nolte did, no. you know, Eddie Murphy's the flashy one in that one. He's great in it, but Nick Nolte is so good in that movie. Totally, he, it's just an iconic. Just rah, rah. it's every everything dirty Harry is with a loser on top of it. It's just such a great character. <laughs> so I was driving home from a, from another meeting with some net, network executives, and I was pissed off because you know Titus had been canceled, and everyone, everybody was like, "Let's get him another show." But I, you know, I have to admit this: I probably have a reputation after Titus uh, to be uh, you know a little bit of a, of a, a tyrant, I guess. I you know, I guess I I was at the time. I was I wasn't listening to anybody. I was you know I was working so hard. I was tired. I didn't have time. I was so tired all the time. That I didn't have time to. If any argued with me, I'd be like, no, doing it this way because this is what works. And uh, um, and, and so I probably I probably I probably oh so I apologize to everybody over the years. But I think I, I got a little I got a little crazy. Um, <laughs> nothing bad. Nothing nothing too crazy. I wasn't Axl Rose, but I but I got a little nutty. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you didn't go Axel on us. I didn't go Axel. I didn't All go right. Axel. So that's a thing. So uh, we did this in 06, and it was great. Doug, uh, Doug Herzog, who approved Titus, who's the best executive I've ever met. Doug Herzog is this guy who takes creative people. He goes, okay, that's a good idea. Do that. And then he doesn't fuck with you uh, unless it goes bad. If it goes bad, he's like, fix this now. But it, up until then, it doesn't. What I found with a lot of executives, they once it's going well, now they want to get involved. They want to be part of it. Well, it's, we're, don't fuck it up. We're, yeah. we're fine. And they have to feel like they're, uh, you know, legitimizing their job by tweaking something. Yeah, but yeah. at the end of the day, go just go. No, guys, we're working great. Keep doing this. Yeah. Don't you know? That's 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 the best executive I've ever met. So and that's Herzog and Herzog. So Herzog approved Titus, and Herzog even approved the publicity thing. We did Titus. He said. Uh, we they showed us uh, some promo stuff that the promo guys had done, and it was just the same old. They took this show that was really unusual that we'd all given our hearts to, and they made it real normal. Mm-hmm. And I went, I went, Jack Bryan and I want to do this. We want to take if we can make the audience laugh in fifteen seconds in a commercial. I guarantee they'll watch the show. I go, I doesn't. They don't need to know what the show's about. They don't need to know the characters. We're just going to show a bit from the show, make them laugh out loud, and do it. And Doug goes, okay. And so we got to do all the promos. We basically did eight or nine promos, and we debuted with a twenty share, and you know, and and it was a at the time it was crazy for a debut. Um, I, think I remember um, you, you say they didn't spend a lot of time or, or money necessarily in promoting the show, but I remember those. No, on the on the on the deal on the deal on the deal. Yeah, they they went once oh, they gotcha. had it. They were scared no, because of it. I feel like I saw it. All the, I knew so much about it before it aired. Yeah, once they knew they had it, Herzog was great. But then in the middle of it, Herzog got kicked out. Yeah. So then we lost it. So then I, so then I, I lose my show. A long story short, I'm pitching new stuff, and I sold about five or six things after Titus, um, and I'm still selling stuff, you know. But but again, I'm back to the printing where I want to do it myself. Yeah, you know, you sell something to a network with your vision. And then 15 other guys piss on it, and next thing you know, you're filming something that is weak, doesn't have the edge, doesn't want you don't want to do it. And so, well, you know, then again, special unit could blow, but it's funny. We're editing it now. It's funny. It's really Billy. Billy Gardell is hilarious. Billy Gardell is a breakout oh, character dude. in this. So um, he's so good. It, but he, I let him go nuts. Like he plays this. He plays the worst police captain in the world, <laughs> and he's he hates my guts, and he goes batshit he it's so at one point you can't i've seen it a hundred times already editing it and it still makes me laugh he's so good in it so we do so we do cranston who was done with malcolm in the middle hadn't got breaking bad and yet and and he's so i asked brian if he directed and he said brian directed it we shot it in five days it, comedy central was just killed just 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 really put it gave us a schedule and we shot this funny pilot it was really funny and it's online you can probably see it and then it took him eight months to say no, and I guess what I heard was somebody at Comedy Central had a kid who was autistic and had a real problem with it. Mm. You know, uh, but my point was never to make fun of disabled people. My point was that disabled people don't have a shot in the business; they just don't. Now, th- now the business talks a lot about them. You know, and the only people that really, really help them is the Fairley Brothers. The Fairley Brothers I was will just hire. Say, they, the, but they, yeah. but the Fairley Brothers walk it like they talk it. And actually, Pete Fairley got involved in this in this movie. Oh so, yeah, yeah. So, so here's what happened. So. I'm pissed. It takes a minute to say no. And the worst story, I'll tell you, this is the worst story. When, only, when did they say no? What year was this? This was the end of 06. We filmed it okay. in February. I think it was like it was like, like summer. Like it, was like it took them forever. Wow, so you've been hanging on to this idea for, for 10 years. It's one of those ideas that I knew, like Titus. Titus, when I came up with it, I was like, I know this is it. Yeah. And when I pitched to Jack and Brian, I want to do flashbacks and black and white. And, and they were like, you're crazy. They're not going to do it. I said, nope, that's what we're doing. And yeah. I, I, had this, I had this inspiration of like, nope. No, I, Norman Rock. No, I know what to do now. 
Um, uh, and so here's what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm arrogant and delusional enough to know what I do today. That's the whole thing. Comics, <laughs> if you ask Louis, Louis would say, no, I'm pretty delusional. Yeah. I mean, you, to be a comedian, you have to be self-aware enough to know that you have to be, just to be a stand-up, I am going to be the guy that's going to walk into this room and make these people laugh. I'm the most important, special, and charismatic person in this room. That's fucking serial killer shit. That is psycho stuff. Yeah, no, you guys- and every comic thinks that. If you didn't make people laugh, you would be considered the most dangerous humans alive. We would, yeah, there'd be just, it'd be masculine. Another guy who thought he was humorous killed 15 people in a mall. That's what happened. That's what would happen. If you didn't have that outlet, you guys would be, Hell, oh, God. Yeah, we a, need to spew it. Lock our job, every one of you up. Our job is to watch how fucked up things are and then talk about it. Yeah. And imagine if we couldn't talk about it. We could just, we would just notice how fucked up things are. <laughs> You know, I imagine Carlin. Carlin was grumpy enough. Imagine if Carlin couldn't get it out. Carlin, <laughs> oh, would, he, he would have been the. He there would just been be the... bodies under his house. Absolutely. Um, so here's so, so here's what happened. So so Brian directs it. We we film it, and here's the worst story. It takes a minute. They finally they say yes, no, we don't know. Yes, no, we don't know. Yes, no, we don't know. And I'm getting frustrated. Um, and my divorce happened, and uh, and I was in I was in a, a Starbucks. And I was I was ordering the thing, and I was, and and the woman behind the counter goes, "Oh, I saw that pilot thing you did." I go, "What?" And she goes, "Yeah." She goes, "With the retards." I was like, "Oh, great. <laughs> oh, okay, great. All right, good." Didn't say it like I say it, like when I do the bit, you know, uh, the word retard, uh, uh, which you can go check out on, uh, but where I explain the word because all my friends like. But she said it like, "Yeah, the re- it was good. It was a retard show." <laughs> and one of the notes when they gave us notes on the special was one of the notes was uh, the stuttering guy annoys me. I don't know. I don't like him stuttering. So they brought this up in a meeting. They they'd done testing on it. They'd sat down and let audiences oh, watch good it. Lord. And they said they said that one of the notes was this one, and one of the notes was the stuttering too much. And I said, "Well, that's part of the funny. Like he's this brilliant guy who can't get it out. He's frustrated because he's trying to. He knows what he wants to say, but he can't say it. Uh, he's got CP." And, and they're like, "Well, you know, that was just one of the notes." So I'm sitting there with my latte, and this woman goes, oh, she goes, yeah. She goes, you know, I liked it. It was really funny. I didn't like the stuttering guy. I told him. I go, how did you see it? And they go, oh, they put us in a room, and they paid us 50 bucks to watch it. And I, and I gave him, I told him I didn't like the stuttering guy. Here's your latte. And I remember thinking, fuck, is this how television works? Oh, no. Like, we put our heart and soul and have Brian Cranston direct it, and some fucking douchebag from Starbucks, my barista, made a decision on my television show? <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Fuck! And what he, are the chances of you and, running into one of the test audience is who's giving you your fucking latte? Probably uh, misspelled your name on the yeah, cup. Yeah. Oh. There's no H in Titus, fuckwad. <laughs> so, so here's what happened. So it sits, it sits, and I think they had a they had a window. They had 39 months where they could do something with it, and they didn't. And uh, I got pissed one day, and I was like, you know what? I, I was I had one of those moments in career everybody has where nothing's happening. You know, because uh, t- cause television moves on. And same way, look at Prince. Prince was by far the last album. Hit, listen to Hit and Run Phase One, back to Prince. Still, some of the best music that came out. Like, there's a song called um, uh, This Could Be Us that's on the new album that you just go, holy shit, how come this wasn't on the radio? You know, it's because the business moves on. They'd rather go get some 15 year old chick, you know, that wears tiny shorts and, and they, they don't, and he's a virtuoso. So the business moves on. They, the next comic, the next comic, the next comic. So I don't think about it again. One day I was in those, one, this weird thing where I was like, nothing's happened in my career. Fuck it, I'm writing a movie script. So I wrote this movie script for a special unit. It was 119 pages, and, and it's, 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 it's this movie script. And, and, I said, and then I said about four years later, now we're now, this is eight, nine years after the pilot. I said, okay, we're getting this. We're filming this next year. February fifteenth, we start filming, and my assistant was like, "What?" And I go, "Yeah, what's up?" I go, "Remind me though." And he goes, "So he needs to remind me." Yeah, though. just no, keep telling me. Keep 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 it alive. Keep talking. Right, about it. right. So, 
So as as when I it, here's the weird thing about saying this, and this is why uh, you know Muhammad Ali. I, I actually our new podcast. If you go to Titus Podcast. We have podcasts too. Um, I'm, the one today is going to be about uh, uh, why aren't we all the greatest? You know, Ali wasn't the greatest. He said he was. Yeah, and yeah. became the greatest. Right. You know, he was the greatest for you know a period of time, but he became no, this no. like. But before that, yeah. he said, "I'm the greatest of all time." Right, right. All I'm time. the greatest of all, and he wasn't <laughs> yet. But he became right, that. right. So he said it before he was that. So like, especially I said, I'm making this movie. If I have to film it with a go cam on a fucking skateboard, we're making this movie. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, uh, I get a guy involved. He's got like investors. We get two investors. I put a third of the money up for it. And next thing I know, we're we're heading towards production. We're filming this. So in the middle, about two months before we're going to shoot, uh, my my phone lights up and it says Peter Farrelly here. Peter Farrelly? I don't know Peter Farrelly. And my wife's standing across the counter and I go, Peter Farrelly's on my phone. And she goes, he can't hear you. <laughs> like, I was so freaked out. It was Peter Farrelly. I was whispering. So I slap the phone down and, I, and I'm like, and I back away. I'm like, why is Peter Farrelly? And I, and I open it and it says, hey, I, someone just played me this pilot that you did. Uh, what are you doing? Is this, is this a movie? What are you doing with this? I heard you're doing something with this. And I, I wrote him back. I said, yeah. I said, I wrote a script. We're filming February 15th. And he goes, can you send me the script? I said, yeah, of course. Kingpin? Kid, are you kidding me? Yeah, dumb yeah. and dumber. I mean, let's go down the list. Every, every, uh, everything about Mary. Oh, come on, fuck yeah. Uh, I sent him the script, and he goes, "Hey, this is really funny." And I'm like, "Yes." And he goes, "Can I call you next week and give you notes?" I said, "I would love that." I'm in Denver. Pick up the phone at noon. Uh, I got my notepad. I got my phone with me. I got my computer open, and I'm like, "All right, let's go." And he and, and I think he's gonna just give me some jokes. And he goes. Page one, and he fucking and Peter fairly blow torches the script very nicely. By the way, it was it wasn't like and the thing is that here's the difference between getting notes from a network executive who's never performed right. and Peter Farrelly. Right, Peter Farrelly's got this body of work that he knows what's funny character wise and what works. And he would take the time. He, he went spent, through it page by page. He did it twice. He spent three hours with me twice. Wow. So we get he the, probably the first thing he told you was it's too long. <laughs> oh yeah, too long, too long. And then one hundred nineteen pages. And, by and the way. I, like Brad, Brad, Brad Williams was supposed to be in it, and so was uh, Josh, Josh Blue. I had them as the villains, and and the whole. And this is the, so, so so Brad, if you're listening, or Josh, it's Peter Farrelly's fault you didn't make the movie. Ooh. Yeah. So here's what happened. Peter Farrelly goes. I had these guys that were cops, and then I had the bad guys as this this guy in a wheelchair who had these. He only hired disabled people, and they were his henchmen and stuff. And it was a lot more Austin Powers than it was what it ended up. Mm-hmm. And. Peter Fairley just goes, he goes, uh, Titus, he goes, why, if you're trying to show that disabled people are just as, uh, just as, uh, as capable as the rest of us, how come they can only take down, uh, disabled criminals? And I had this moment of epiphany. I was like, wow, that's really, wow. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. So I did was, I trashed, I rewrote 75 pages. This is of how script. soon before production This is two starts? months. Oh. I rewrote the entire, locked myself in a room and I rewrote the entire script. I, I mean, and I got to tell you, man, it was... But it was inspiring, too, because at the end of the note session with Peter Farrelly, I, I was like, wow, now I have – and he was so great at story and structure, and and I and so I, I said, he's absolutely right. And I had written enough to know what he was – I, 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 I had written enough scripts and, you know, got my, you know, that I knew what he was talking about. And right. It was just stupid stuff that I – and I rewrote the whole script, and it came out so well. How are people going to see Special Unit? Uh, we don't know yet, man. We're we're, yeah. we're we're gonna we're putting it into Sundance. Hopefully, it, it gets accepted. It's really funny. We're in the middle. Of, we're only we just finished it in March, so we we're finishing this. We're finishing the. We're cutting now. We're cutting now. It was right. two hours. It yeah. Ended up two hours. So we're so it still ended up long, <laughs> but it was funny. It was watchable. I, and uh, and 
oh, so fairly one more thing. So then I sent it back to him, and he goes, "This is." He goes, "This story works. This is great." Can I call you next week and give you notes again? And I'm oh. like, oh shit, no, <laughs> no. I'm like, because I can't rewrite for it. I can't. I don't have time. We're gonna film. And so I get down and I got my notebook and my computer open and my phone. I'm ready. And he goes, I got. He goes, uh, page 23. I got a joke pitch. And he just had four joke pitches. Oh. And and he said, this is great, man. And we've shot it. And he and I go, do you want to be a producer? And he goes, no. He goes, I. He goes, I. He goes, I have friends. He's got a buddy in a wheelchair. He goes, I have friends that are disabled. And he said, I want. This someone's going to get this right. He goes, we got screwed on the ringer. The ringer they got made fun of a lot. And he goes, someone. He goes, you're on the track to get this right. He goes, I don't know if that will happen. He goes, but you're on the track to get this right. Right. And so he goes, that's why I want to be involved, and that's all I want to do. So Peter Fairley, by the way, is my he's my new Jesus. <laughs> I hope you gave him a nice something special thank you somewhere. In the we, will, we will. We will put it right. in the credit. He may not want it. Though. He may look at the movie and go, oh, let me give you notes. No, he actually he's gonna he's gonna give us notes on the cut, which is great. There's another fucking three days of my life. <laughs> Really, really funny teaser up right now. There's a whole scene actually, basically yeah, yeah. that One you, of the, you guys we, put up. I take it they make me that my uh, the mayor's my ex girlfriend and she's making me do this. She hates my guts and, yeah. and and the captain. Due to the fairness and disability, basically we lose funding if we don't get these train these four undercover detectives, disabled undercover detectives, and so I take them to the gun range and all hell breaks loose. Is this an actual thing? This the the disabilities the no but it sounds like it, it sounds right? like it that's the, when you, you get... sold it so well in Van Nuys blah 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 and yeah. I'm like oh well that must exist yeah yeah I think it, sh- it probably should <laughs> probably yeah, should. it probably should man all right I'm gonna lean over and pick up my coffee stained notes yeah I, I, I could keep you here forever but I so uh, here we go if I can read them I uh, all right so uh, we talked about God I hope uh, been amusing God we've just talked about we've talked about the business no, for so this long. is what we do no all look right. this what I love to do is because. You're funny, and you've been funny in so many other. I love the process, and I love, and also the stuff you've experienced. And I mean, there's inspiring stuff in here. I, I'll do quick questions here. Um, uh, by the way, you mentioned your Titus podcast, which Titus is, podcast, which is uh, we do the Armageddon update. We write it. It's it's really it's it's always funny, but we always deal with the world. Yeah. Okay, so here's uh, actually I wrote down uh, just scroll down here at the bottom Armageddon and slash apocalypse. The, uh, Those are words that come up a lot, quite often in your. It, well, everywhere. And doesn't this election prove it? Like, <laughs> so I do a thing called the Armageddon Update, which right. basically talks about usually what whatever nightmare news is in the thing. And it's amazing to me that the four last guys ended up Trump, who's like this mobster four-year-old who talks about his penis at a presidential debate. <laughs> then you got Cruz. I'm glad Cruz is out because Cruz, you know, Cruz just walked the earth with this playing in his head. No one's ever going to wipe a booger on me again. No one's ever going to wipe a booger on me again. <laughs> And now Hillary, Hillary, who's got a wake of bodies, allegedly, I'm saying that because I don't want to end up, you know, sitting in my front seat with a gun on my hand and trunk fibers on my shirt. <laughs> there, this podcast is going to end up some, in some sort of uh, evidence room at yeah, some point. Yeah, and then, and you got, then you got the Bernie, who I love Bernie, but Bernie, just every time I saw him, I thought, wow, he looks like a really joyful model train enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> like he's going to be in the basement of the White House, just do do. Just... How did we get here? I, Chris, know, I don't the, know. There's a special. If you can go to ChristopherTitus.com to get my specials, there's one I wrote the last election called Neverlution, which is about taking the country back, but we never will because you know that we are housewives on. So it was all about taking our country back. Right. And I wrote it for the last election. Boy, is it apropos for this election. Well, I go back to you talking about you know picking which child you're going to eat when you know. It, <laughs> I mean, the kind of Armageddon or apocalypse you were talking about then. It's a very different kind of Armageddon apocalypse now. Yeah, right. So I what so you you're taping your new special which is Born with a Defect. Born with a Defect we're going to be down in Escondido. It's where we shot in Evolution actually. It's a it's the Center Theater. It's great though theater. Uh Escondido we're doing that in July 9th. Go to christophertitus.com to click through the ticket link and you get tickets to it. Yeah. 
What is the overriding theme on this one, if I can't glean it from the title? If... If you're a parent, it's therapy. If you don't have kids, it's 90 minutes of birth control. <laughs> How old are your kids now? Uh, the My son just turned 12. I got 12 and, and 14. So my, oh. Yeah, so it's great. So my house is just like a Thunderdome of stink right now. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. By the way, my son is 24. That never stops. Uh, and my daughter's going through the change, which is so fun. <laughs> Hi, Daddy. <laughs> like, honey, hey, calm down. I know what this is. You're very pretty, and here are some M&Ms. Oh, shit. You're in trouble. Uh, let's see. You are doing the Bray Improv this weekend. Bray I, Improv this weekend. Yep. i got that Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. And, and so what will happen after this, once we film it on the 9th, so this is the last time you're going to see this show in the, in the because I, you know, I, I start dismantling it. The second we film the special, I start dismantling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So quick questions. Uh, I, I don't know. Do other people do this? I Before I knew about where you're from, I always pegged you as an East Coast comic. Man, I don't know why I get that, but I, even every, I would have even said like a Boston or something, except no accent. Is it my is it is it my attitude? Yes. Okay. Well, I was raised by a raging alcoholic and a mentally ill mother, so I think I, I think, think as, which is by the way is a very East Coast thing. Yeah, as a <laughs> very know. as a very small kid, I was dealing with situations that were pretty hardcore, and you had to talk fast, and you had to eat fast, or else shit was going to break off at the dinner table. Yeah, and you had to learn to talk to sheriffs when they evicted us. So I got I got I. I I talk quick, and I have an attitude. Like I, I guess I, I definitely have that uh, alpha male thing, where I, you know, yeah, yeah, and I it's don't weird. mean to. I think uh, also even just like a quick glance at your bio, you see Newark, and you think, oh, it's New, New Jersey. Jersey. Uh, no, it's freaking Bay Area, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Newark, uh, so um, today is Wednesday. Uh, by the time this posts on Thursday, we will have the results. Are you a Warriors fan? Uh, I'm not, man. I, I, I no? like, I'm not a basketball or football. The 49ers broke my heart when, and DeBartolo left. I've never been a basketball fan because I was so lame at it. All right. I'm good now though, but I'm, but, but I was, uh, so I never got into it. I'm not a big watching sports fan. Like the X games. Yeah. Like I'll do that. I, I had a big dirt bike for a long time. I have a dune buggy. I wakeboard, I snowboard. Uh, um, uh, I, yeah. And so no giants, no A's, no nothing. Here's the thing. I'm a big drag racing fan, like Tony Schumacher is a friend of mine. Any, it, anything you can do where you can die on fire, there you go. I like that. <laughs> but throwing a ball around, never, never. I was never into it. Never into it. So and it's still, weird because guys look at me like I'm weird. I'm like, nah, just nah. It, so until they dunk that ball in like kerosene, light it on fire, yeah, and when then it throw it on the field. Ball, yeah. Like if you like go uh, like roller skates on fire, and there's bullets flying. Yeah. You know, even beanbag bullets. You have to ask with beanbag bullets. That game, I'm in. I'm By in. the way, rollerball. When President Trump takes office, that will be our new that national will pastime. Be, holy shit! All right. Uh, if uh, you were forced to go up on stage and do karaoke, the go-to song would be "Please Be a Prince Song." Uh, yeah, well, it would be. If it were a Prince song, what would it be? Uh, Sexy Motherfucker. <laughs> Are they going to have that on the karaoke list? <laughs> you know what? You think they should. They should have this other, like, this other section where You'd the kids You'd be shocked how, what they do, actually. Because yeah. I went to karaoke recently, and some lady got up and did, like, a album cut off of Fiona album uh, Fiona Apple record. Wow. And yeah. uh, by the way, that place shut down. She did not make a great pick. So they do have everything. If it's not a Prince song, what is it? Uh, Rubber Band Man by the Spinners. <laughs> <laughs> Hammer down my walking cane. Hammer down my hat. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that was, a, that was a, when I was a kid, that was like my favorite song. Dude, that is a great song. <laughs> uh, favorite movie all time. Uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, and then uh, my top five are Pulp Fiction, Training Day, 48 Hours, 
Uh, I would probably go for just popcorn, the original Independence Day. Oh, yeah. And then um, what would be another great movie that I just love? Uh, oh, any. You just, by the way, the fifth one goes any Clint Eastwood movie, any Clint Eastwood uh, Western or, or Dirty Harry movie. Oh, great. Uh, favorite uh, comic all time? Of all time. Yeah. You know it's weird. It switched over the years. I would have to say, uh, I would say, I would say Robin for performance, and I would say Carlin. I would have to pick Carlin because of the writing. You know, it, it doesn't matter. You can be a shitty comic, but if your jokes are solid, you're you're just you can be a badass still. I've been thinking a lot about Pryor lately because, um, and you brought him up earlier. I when I think about in my life, because you, you have these moments, and there, because I had one recently where my wife and I got so tickled at each other that we laughed so hard that we were rolling. On, I mean, and this is why we've been married for 29 years, because we That's still great. have these moments yeah. to the point where, and it was at her expense, of course, because it usually is, but thank God she laughed along with me. And so I won't tell you exactly why we were laughing, because she will not forgive me for that, <laughs> but just like gasping for breath. The, and there are like maybe five times in my life I can actually remember those moments and one of those times is white boy west texas midnight movie winwood cinema in odessa texas watching the first richard pryor the sunset special special? no no no, long beach special red shirt with that uh uh, the heart attack one where he goes yeah where where patty labelle that you know yeah (laughs) i said hey i'm god please kill me you weren't saying that when you know that pork motherfucker (laughs) exactly by the way that and and the dobermans and all that that's that story that heart attack my dad i think you know my dad was i knew we knew my dad was on the road to heart attack i'm i remember laughing so hard people people forget there's also doesn't that the one where he also shoots holes in his car yeah that's special that's special specifically because i think prior kind of smoothed out after but that's special when he was was at the top of his game and i think sunset strip too but sunset he was he was damaged because of the fire yeah still great yeah still great but long that long beach special Mm -hmm. i tell comics you want to see a kick-ass prior special because they go i don't get it Go watch that special. I, I was I showed it to my son because I, I wanted to him to have some perspective on a guy he didn't really know that well. And you do have to put it in some sort of historical perspective because yeah. the material itself doesn't seem as groundbreaking. But, but if you can time. if you can put it in the context of what was going on around that time and and also when he talks about race and the cops and all that stuff, it, people don't realize he did this at a time. He, when, he did. He, he talks about this bit: a black man in Beverly Hills shooting holes in a Rolls Royce <laughs> while the girl is standing there, and he didn't get killed. Mm-hmm. Like, in today he'd have got killed. Yeah, but he does. There is a joke about you know. Yeah. Uh, I can't say the they words. Don't that he used. They don't kill a car. They don't kill. No, <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I'll quote it exactly. Uh, he goes because the police don't kill cars; they kill niggers. <laughs> that's what he says. People have to watch that. Uh, that's. The hardest I've laughed, I think, in my lifetime. And yeah. when you and the point I wanted to make there is that if you can make literally a theater packed with white kids from Texas falling on the ground, there's a guy who was able to transcend any race, any any yeah, you gender. You for, he he stayed black without making it the deal. Do you know what I mean? And he exposed me to a world that I needed to know about. When yeah. he was doing Mudbone and all that stuff, yeah. and that character's and, and really poignant and touching, but yeah. at the same time, I learned something about him and his life that I needed to know as the somewhat privileged middle-class white kid who yeah. knew no black people. Yeah. Um, I anyway. think we could actually say that he, that special, I think he, I think you could say that Pryor kind of kicked off the comedy boom. You could say, because that special... Because he did that one and he did the Sunset Strip special, and then people wanted to f- people wanted more comedy. Yeah, and it wasn't in the movies; they had to go to comedy. Yeah, class. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Final question, um, just to relate to the title of the podcast and legitimize this uh, logo that I paid a lot of money for. Um, <laughs> have you ever, or if not, would you will be willing to work with a monkey? Uh, yeah, but it would it would be like there would have to be insurance and the check would have to be bigger. I'd have to have like monkey pay. I'd have to have a <laughs> monkey bump. Give me, a, I need a monkey bump. No, I look, I'll do the show, but if I don't get my goddamn monkey bump, we're not doing this. Next time you have that uh, meeting, like Fox meeting, <laughs> don't forget about the monkey book. Get a monkey. Get a monkey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.